Good evening. You're listening to Tales from the Witch House, and I'm Brie Bjorklin, your host. For today's episode, I ask you to leave behind your safe reality and descend into the depths of your most terrifying imaginations. With audio adaptions of frightening fiction, join me as I delve into this twisted tale. This is episode 9 of the podcast, but our first episode in our Dracula series. With that, let's get started on chapter 1. Dracula begins with the diary of Jonathan Harker, an English lawyer, as he travels from England to Eastern Europe. This is his first ever assignment as a solicitor, and he is traveling to the castle of Count Dracula. Harker is hoping to sell the Count land in London. He is taking notes for his fiancée, the lovely Mina Murray. May 3rd. Right away, Harker notes that the part of Europe he is traveling to is not well mapped or explored. He couldn't find Castle Dracula on any maps either, but had managed to find a larger town the Count had mentioned easily, called Bistriz. Bear with my horrible pronunciation, I beg of you. The next day, Harker says he did not sleep well and had strange dreams. He says there were dogs howling under his window all night. He travels through the beautiful countryside most of the day, seeing multiple different cultures of people. That night, just before dark, he arrives in Bistriz. Bistriz is described as a very interesting old place. It is a town scarred by war and fire. The Count told Harker to go to the Golden Crone Hotel, and when he arrived, he found a letter waiting for him from Dracula. The Count tells Harker that at the Borgo Pass, a carriage will pick him up and bring him to the castle. I trust that your journey from London has been a happy one, and that you will enjoy your stay in my beautiful land. Your friend, Dracula. May 4th. The landlord and his wife act oddly towards Harker, and this is the couple that owns the Golden Crown Hotel. They seem almost frightened, and when asked about the castle or the count, the odd couple crosses themselves and refuse to speak about it, which should be a big red flag, Harker. But anyway, Harker had to leave before he could ask anyone anything else, but as he was walking out the door, the old woman stopped him and asked in frantic German if he could stay and not go, because it was the eve of St. George's Day. She tells him that on St. George's Day, at midnight, all evil things are very powerful. The woman went so far as to get down on her knees and beg Harker not to go. Harker was uncomfortable by this, but tried to comfort the lady because she seemed so sincere in her care for him. The woman gave Harker her crucifix, which Harker's religion taught to be adulterous, but he took it anyway because she was so kind to him. She saw, I suppose, the doubt in my face when she put the rosary around my neck and said, for your mother's sake, and went out of the room. I am writing up this part of the diary while this I am waiting for the coach, which is of course late, and the crucifix is still around my neck. Whether it is the old lady's fear, or the many ghostly traditions of this place, or the crucifix itself, I do not know, but I am not feeling nearly as easy in mind as usual. 
If this book should reach me in a before me, let it bring my goodbye. Here comes the coach. May 5th. Once Harker got on the coach, the driver was speaking to the landlady, obviously about Harker, and many people joined in the conversation. Lots of different languages were used. Harker got out his polylot dictionary and looked up some of the words. Ordog, Satan. Poco, Hell. Strigosia, Witch. Vrolic, Werewolf or Vampire. Are these terms from the Witcher? Y'all let me know. These words do not comfort Harker. When the coach finally begins to move, all the people in the crowd made the sign of the cross and then pointed two fingers at Harker. Harker managed to get one of his fellow passengers to tell him that it was a charm against the evil eye. Harker notes that his uneasiness is growing, but the people are all very nice to him and concerned. The road they traveled on was not a horrible road, but also not a very well-kept one. This road is actually a road between two countries that are at war, and if one or the other decides to fix up the road, the other might assume they're fixing it so they can bring troops in to attack the other country. But the land is beautiful and full of rich colors and sloping hills, and they were traveling very quickly, as if the driver was in a hurry. As dark started to fall, they started to travel through very dark patches of pine forest. Sometimes they climbed up steep hills and the horses had to walk slowly. Harker wanted to get out and walk up the hills as he did back home, but the driver declined saying, and I quote, you must not walk here. The dogs are too fierce. As dark fell, the passengers were uneasy and spoke to the coachman to hurry. He pushed the horses hard and the carriage rocked so violently that Harker had to hold on. When they began to enter the Borgo Pass, the other passengers gave Harker gifts. The gifts were odd, but given kindly and with a blessing against the evil eye. There was tons of nervous energy when they arrived at the location Harker was supposed to meet Dracula's carriage. And at Harker's disappointment, there was none waiting. The driver, turning to Harker, said, There is no carriage here. The heir is not expected after all. He will now come to Bukovina and return tomorrow or the next day. Better the next day. Note that up until this point, everyone had been trying to stop Harker from getting to this point. Before he could finish speaking, a carriage rides up with black, beautiful horses. They were driven by a tall man with a long brown beard and a great black hat, which seemed to hide his face from us. I could see only the gleam of a pair of very bright eyes, which seemed red in the lamplight as he turned to us. He said to the driver, You are early tonight, my friend. The man stammered in reply, The English heir was in a hurry. To which the stranger replied, That is why, I suppose, you wished him to go on to Bukovina. You cannot deceive me, my friend. I know too much, and my horses are swift. As he spoke, he smiled, and the lamplight fell on a hard-looking mouth with very red lips and sharp-looking teeth, as white as ivory. One of the passengers muttered under his breath in his language a quote from somewhere, for the dead travel fast, which caused a smile from the driver and a shudder from the passengers. The stranger took Harker's bags, and Harker stepped out of the carriage. The carriage immediately took off towards Bukovina with no hesitation. 
The driver gave Harker a cloak and a blanket, plus told him that there was brandy under the seat should he need it. Harker did not end up drinking any. Eventually, he checked his watch and found it to be a few minutes till midnight, and Harker found himself filled with suspense. Dogs began howling from everywhere. The horses became frightened, but the driver settled them easily. Soon, wolves howling was heard, and the horses became very frightened, so frightened the driver had to get out of the coach and go to comfort them, which he did, expertly. Again, they continued on their journey through a large rock formation, and suddenly Harker noticed a flickering blue flame in the distance. The driver saw it too, and stopped the horses, going off towards the light without an explanation. Harker thought for sure the wolves would get him and the horses, but then he wondered if he had not fallen asleep because it happened again and again, the driver stopping for blue flames and Harker and the horses being left to the wolves. On one stop, the driver was gone so long that the wolves came in so close that Harker had to beat on the side of the carriage and yelled for the driver. The driver appeared and raised his voice in a loud command and the wolves fell back. Harker focused again and saw the driver climbing into the carriage. He was so petrified with fear that he didn't say anything. In complete darkness, they swept on, ascending. Suddenly, I became conscious of the fact that the driver was in the act of pulling up the horses in the courtyard of a vast, ruined castle, from whose tall black windows came no ray of light, and whose broken battlements showed a jagged line against the sky. Chapter 2 May 5th I must have been asleep. For certainly, if I had been fully awake, I must have noticed the approach of such a remarkable place. In the gloom, the courtyard looked of considerable size, and as several dark ways led from it under great round arches, it perhaps seemed bigger than it really is. I have not yet been able to see it in daylight. The driver pulled up to the castle and unloaded Harker's suitcases onto the ground, and then drove away into the night, leaving Harker alone at the stone door. There was no knocker, and he stood for a long time not knowing what to do. He even pinches himself to see if he is dreaming. After some length of time, he hears heavy footsteps approaching the door. Within stood a tall man, clean-shaven save for a long white mustache, and clad in black from head to foot, without a single speck of color about him anywhere. He held in his hand an antique silver lamp, in which the flame burned without a chimney or globe of any kind, throwing long, quivering shadows as it flickered in the draught of the open door. The old man motioned me in with his right hand, with a courtly gesture, saying in excellent English, but with a strange innotation, Welcome to my house. Enter freely and of your own free will. This is Count Dracula. Harker enters the castle and is greeted with a firm handshake. Again, he said, Welcome to my house. Enter freely, go safely, and leave some of the happiness you bring. Dracula says his servants were asleep, so he carries Harker's bags up to his room himself. Harker then freshens up and leaves his room to find supper prepared in the next room. Harker gave Dracula a letter from Mr. Hawkins to read while he ate. When Dracula finished reading it, he handed it to Harker to read. In it, his boss, Mr. Hawkins, spoke very highly of Harker, which was pleasing for Jonathan to hear. 
Harker describes the Count as having full bushy eyebrows, very arched nostrils, very large eyes, a large mustache, and a mouth with two sharp of teeth. After eating dinner with the Count, of course the Count did not eat, they sat by the fire. Harker found himself nauseous at the Count's close presence. He also noted that he had hair on his palms and very long fingernails. They talked for so long that the hint of dawn could be seen over the mountaintops. Wolves could be heard howling, and Dracula responds to this by saying, Listen to them, the children of the night, what music they make. Dracula then excuses himself, telling Harker that he must be tired. Harker signs off for the day with this entry. I am all in a sea of wonders. I doubt, I fear, I think strange things, which I dare not confess to my own soul. God keep me, if only for the sake of those dear to me. May 7th. Harker sleeps until late in the day, and when he enters the outer room, he finds breakfast laid out on the table and coffee kept hot on the hearth. There was a note from Dracula that read, I have to be absent for a while. Do not wait for me. D. After his meal, Harker cannot find a bell to call for the servants, which is very strange because the castle is very luxurious. He also cannot find a mirror anywhere. Harker ends up spending his afternoon in a library he found. The Count happened to possess lots of English books, including maps, political books, and guides to English life. Dracula arrived while Harker was reading and seemed to be pleased that Harker had found his books. These companions, and he laid his hand on some of the books, have been good friends to me, and for some many years past, ever since I had the idea of going to London, have given me many, many hours of pleasure. Through them I have come to know your great England, and to know her is to love her. I long to go through the crowded streets of your mighty London, to be in the midst of the whirl and rush of humanity, to share its life, its change, its death, and all that makes you what it is. But alas, as yet I only know your tongue through books, to you, my friend. I look that I know it to speak. There is some back and forth between the Count and Harker about Dracula's English, which Harker assures him is fantastic, but the Count is very self-conscious and doesn't want to appear foreign once he is in England. I am content if I am like the rest, so that no man stops if he sees me, or pauses in his speaking if he hears my words. Huh, a stranger. I have been so long master that I would be master still or at least that none other should be master of me. As much as I would like to break down Dracula's motives here, I would like to wait till later on so I don't spoil anything on accident. Count Dracula asked Harker if he would like to spend the evening talking to him so he could practice his English and also learn of England. Harker agreed and requested future use of the library. The Count told Harker that he could go anywhere in the castle where the door was not locked. We are in Transylvania, and Transylvania is not England. Our ways are not your ways, and there shall be to you many strange things. Nay, from what you have told me of your experiences already, you know something of what strange things there may be. This led Harker to asking Dracula about the blue flames, 
and Dracula explains that the lights show only once a year where hidden treasure is buried. Of course, that day is St. George's Day. He was marking the spots to dig up later. Fairly quickly, though, Harker was led to business matters as the Count had many questions about his new estate. He asked knowledgeable questions and had quite a bit of intimate knowledge about the neighborhood as well. Harker comments on Dracula's know-all, to which Dracula says that he must know, for as he will be all alone in England. Dracula's new property is old, large, and secluded, even described as gloomy, but this pleases Dracula to hear. I am glad that it is old and big. I myself am of an old family, and to live in a new house would kill me. A house cannot be made habitable in a day, after all. How few days go to make up a century. I rejoice also that there is a chapel of old times. We Transylvanian nobles love not to think that our bones may lie amongst the common dead. I seek not gaiety nor mirth, not the bright voluptuousness of much sunshine and sparkling waters which please the young and gay. I else am no longer young, and my heart, though weary years of mourning over the dead, is not attuned to mirth. Moreover, the walls of my castle are broken, the shadows are many, and the wind breathes cold through the broken battlements and casements. I love the shade and the shadow, and would be alone with my thoughts when I may. Beautiful writing. Dracula excuses himself for a time before returning to tell Harker that his supper is ready. Dracula sat and chatted as Harker ate, and after they smoked and talked very late into the night, and even though Harker was not sleepy, he found himself uneasy. The rooster crowed and the count jumped to his feet, apologizing to Harker for again keeping him up so late. Harker wrote and went to sleep. May 8th. Harker starts off with this entry. I wish I were safe out of it, or that I had never come. It may be that the strange night existence is telling on me, but if that were all. If there were anyone that I could talk to, I could bear it, but there is no one. I have only the Count to speak with, and he... I fear I am myself the only living soul within the place. Let me be prosaic as far as facts can be. It will help me to bear up. An imagination must not run riot with me. If it does, I am lost. Let me say at once how I stand, or seem to. Harker then proceeds to describe an incident where he was shaving when the Count's voice from behind him startled him into nicking his face. The reflection shone the whole room behind him, so Harker not seeing the Count approach was impossible. In reaction to the blood, the Count reacts in anger, making an attempt to grab Harker's throat until he sees the crucifix, and the anger vanishes. The Count then told Harker to be careful how he cuts himself in this country, and then shatters Harker's mirror by throwing it against the floor, calling the mirror a bad thing for humanity. Harker then ate breakfast alone in the outer room. He decides to spend his day exploring the castle. He soon realizes every window overlooks either a cliff or the ocean, and that most of the doors are locked. So many doors are locked, in fact, that he has no exit at all, and he is a prisoner in Castle Dracula. Chapter 3 
When I found out that I was a prisoner, a sort of wild feeling came over me. I rushed up and down the stairs, trying every door and peering out of every window I could find. But after a little, the conviction of my helplessness overpowered all other feelings. When I look back after a few hours, I think I must have been mad for a time, for I behaved much as a rat does in a trap. When, however, the conviction had come to me that I was helpless, I sat down quietly, as quietly as I've ever done anything in my life, and began to think over what was best to be done. I am thinking still, and has yet have come to no definite conclusion. Of one thing only I am certain, that it is no use making my ideas known to the Count. He knows well that I am imprisoned, and as he has done it himself, has doubtless his own motives for it. He would only deceive me if I trusted him fully with the facts. So far as I can see, my only plan will be to keep my knowledge and my fears to myself and my eyes open. I am, I know, either being deceived like a baby by my own fears or else I am in desperate straits. And if the latter be so, I need and shall need all my brains to get through. Harker hears that the Count is moving around in the castle, and when Dracula doesn't come straight to the library, Harker quietly goes to his bedroom, only to see that the Count is making his bed. Later, he sees the Count preparing his food. It is apparent that there are no servants in this castle. This leads Harker to believe that Dracula was probably the coach driver as well, which means he had that strange power over the wolves, which is very disturbing. Harker's plan now is to find out all that he can about Dracula without making him suspicious. Yes, that will be easy, Harker. Midnight. This night their conversations were about Dracula's family line. He spoke in we terms, as if he was there. He talks about many different battles with many different types of fierce warriors. We Zekalis have a right to be proud, for in our veins flow the blood of many brave races who have fought as the lion fights for lordship. Here, in the whirlpool of European races, the tribe bore down from Iceland the fighting spirit which Thor and Woden gave them, which their berserkers displayed to such fell intent on the seaboards of Europe and of Asia and Africa too, till the peoples thought that their werewolves themselves had come. Here too when they came, they found the Huns, whose warlike fury had swept the earth like a living flame, till the dying peoples held in their veins ran the blood of those old witches, who expelled from Scythica had mated with the devils in the desert. Fools, fools. What devil or what witch was ever so great as Attila, whose blood is in these veins? Dracula says he is a descendant from Attila the Hun, and that though the Draculas got a bad name for being selfish in a war and only thinking about themselves, Dracula explained that his ancestor was doing the hard thing that no one else could or would do. You know, that sort of thing. As always, I apologize for my pronunciation. <laughs> it's not my strong suit. Dracula ends his speech with a sad undertone, one of loneliness, by saying, 
The warlike days are over. Blood is too precious a thing in these days of dishonorable peace, and the glories of the great races are as a tale that is told. After this, it is close to morning, so they both retire to bed. May 12th. Harker writes that the Count had had a lot of legal questions for him, specifically if he was allowed to have multiple solicitors doing different jobs for him. Harker told him that it was done by men who didn't want one man to know everything that they were doing. And Harker even says that Dracula would make a great solicitor because he thought of everything. He asked so many questions that there was really nothing left to chance. When the business was finished, Dracula asked Harker if he had written any letters home yet, to which he replied that he had not because he hadn't found a way to send letters yet. He says this in a little bit of a impatient way because, you know, how could he have sent any letters? Dracula tells Harker now to write to his friends and to Mr. Hawkins and tell them that he will be staying at Castle Dracula for another month. Harker is shocked to hear this and asks the Count if he requires him to stay so long. Dracula says that he will not take no for an answer and that Mr. Hawkins had assured him that his needs would be met above all others, whatever they were. Harker has to accept on the basis that he knows he is trapped and because he feels he has to for his boss, Mr. Hawkins. Because remember, this is his first ever job doing this. Dracula hands Harker paper and envelopes, giving him a warning to only write about business matters. Harker knows that Dracula will be able to read whatever he puts down. I pray you, my good young friend, that you will not discourse of things other than business in your letters. It will doubtless please your friends to know that you are well, and that you look forward to getting home to them. Is it not so? So Harker writes business letters, and writes in secret fully to Hawkins, and a shorthand letter to Mina. Dracula leaves the room momentarily, and Harker reaches across the table to look at the letters the Count has been writing, but only manages to see the addresses. He notices the door handle shake, so he manages to rearrange himself in time for Dracula to enter the room. I drew a little uwu face in my notes here. Can you picture this being one of those crazy, uncomfortable point of view TikToks? You know what I'm talking about? I digress. Dracula tells Harker he has plans for the night, but Harker should have everything he needs in his room. Before leaving, Dracula turns to Harker and says, Let me advise you, my dear young friend. Nay, let me warn you, with all seriousness, that should you leave these rooms, you will not by any chance go to sleep in any other part of the castle. It is old and has many memories and there are bad dreams for those who sleep unwisely. Be warned, should sleep now or ever overcome you or like to do, then haste to your own chamber or to these rooms, for your rest will then be safe. But if you be not careful in this respect then, he finished his speech in a gruesome way, for he motioned with his hands as if he were washing them. Harker writes that he understands the Count's warning but his whole life feels scary right now, so the new warning isn't very shocking or concerning to him. I like what he writes here. I shall not fear to sleep in any place where he is not. 
I have placed the crucifix over the head of my bed. I imagine that my rest is thus freer from dreams, and there it shall remain. After Harker has been alone in his room for some time without hearing any sound, he left to look around the castle. He sat by a window with a pretty view and found peace looking at this beautiful countryside. As he is looking, he notices movement at a window on another castle wall, presumably where the Count's rooms are. What I saw was the Count's head coming out from the window. I did not see the face, but I knew the man by the neck and the movement of his back and arms. In any case, I could not mistake the hands, which I had some many opportunities of studying. I was at first interested and somewhat amused, for it is wonderful how small a matter will interest and amuse a man when he is a prisoner. But my very feelings changed to repulsion and terror when I saw the whole man slowly emerge from the window and begin to crawl down the castle wall over the dreadful abyss face down, with his cloak spreading out around him like great wings. At first, I could not believe my eyes. I thought it was some trick of the moonlight, some weird effect of a shadow, but I kept looking, and it could be no delusion. I saw the fingers and toes grasp the corners of the stones, worn clear of the mortar by the stress of years, and by thus using every projection and inequality, move downwards with considerable speed, just as a lizard moves along a wall. What manner of man is this? Or what manner of creature? It is in semblance of man. I feel the dread of this horrible place overpowering me. I am in fear, in awful fear, and there is no escape for me. I am encompassed about with terrors that I dare not think of. May 15th. Harker has seen Dracula leave the castle this way several times now. On this day, knowing the Count was gone after seeing him lizard crawl away, he decides to explore parts of the castle he hasn't been yet. He goes down the stone stairs he entered through and checks the front door to find it is locked and the key is gone. Harker assumes the key is probably in the Count's room, so he wants to try to find a way in there at some point. He checks several rooms only to find dust-covered furniture. At the top of some stairs, he found a door that appeared locked, however gave with a tiny bit of resistance. Harker enters to explore and hopefully find something of use. These rooms had large windows overlooking a beautiful valley from the side of a cliff. Across the valley was a mountain range. Harker knows by the type and comfort of the furniture that this had been the ladies' chambers long ago. Harker describes the feeling in the room by saying, There was a dread loneliness in the place which chilled my heart and made my nerves tremble. He decides even still that these rooms are more comfortable than his own and sits down at one of the tables and begins to write in his diary. Later, the morning of May 16th, Harker starts off this entry by writing that something horrific has happened, or that he has truly gone mad. He tries to compose himself so he can write down the events. He mentions now that he understood why Hamlet had to write everything down on his tablets, because the safety of the mind is gone at that point when you see something like that, 
It's just a nice little nod. Harker said when he finished his last entry, he became very sleepy. He remembered the Count's warning about sleeping anywhere else, but he decided to sleep there out of spite towards the Count. I determined not to return to the gloom-haunted rooms, but to sleep here, where, of old, ladies had sat and sung and lived sweet lives, whilst their gentle breasts were sad for their menfolk away in the midst of remorseless wars. He lay on a couch facing one of the large windows. What happened next, he hoped was all a dream, but he's pretty certain it was not. Suddenly, he was not alone in the room. Three women stood in front of him. Ladies, he guessed by their dress. Two had dark hair and pronounced features like the Count, and one was very pale, with long, blonde, curly, and full hair, with blue eyes. She seemed almost familiar to Harker. He mentions it was almost as if she was from a dream. They all had very red lips and bright white, sharp teeth. They threw no shadows on the floor. I felt in my heart a wicked, burning desire that they would kiss me with those red lips. It is not good I note this down, lest someday it should meet Mina's eyes and cause her pain. But it is the truth. They whispered together, and then they all three laughed, such a silvery, musical laugh, but as hard as though the sound never could have come through the softness of human lips. It was like the intolerable, tingling sweetness of water glasses when played on by a cunning hand. The fair girl shook her head coquettishly, and the other two urged her on. One said, Go on. You are first, and we shall follow. Yours is the right to begin. The other added, He is young and strong. They are kisses for us all. Harker, through all of this, is laying immobilized on this couch. His eyelids are heavy as if he's on the verge of falling asleep. He doesn't feel any fear, only an underlying repulsion that is sort of masked by the anticipation of the women getting closer. The fair one approaches and very slowly leans over Harker, all the while licking her sharp teeth like an animal. Just as the points of her teeth brushed Harker's neck, at that instant, Another sensation swept through me as quick as lightning. I was conscious of the presence of the Count and of his being as if lapped in a storm of fury. As my eyes opened involuntarily, I saw his strong hand grasp the slender neck of the fair woman and with giant's power draw it back. With a fierce sweep of his arm, Dracula hurled the woman from him and then motioned to the others as though he were beating them back. It was the same imperious gesture that I had seen used on the wolves. And a voice, which though low and almost in a whisper, seemed to cut the air and then ring in the room, he said, How dare you touch him, any of you? How dare you cast eyes on him when I had forbid it? Back, I tell you. This man belongs to me. Beware how you meddle with him, or you will have me to deal with. The fair girl, with a laugh of ribald coquetry, turned to answer him. You yourself never loved. You never love. On this the other woman joined, and such a mirthless, hard, soulless laughter rang through the room that it almost made me faint to hear. It seemed like the pleasure of fiends. Then the Count turned, after looking at my face attentively, and said in a soft whisper, 
Yes, too, I can love. You yourselves can tell it from the past. Is it not so? Well, now, I promise you that when I am done with him, you shall kiss him at your will. Now go. I must awaken him, for there is work to be done. The women ask Dracula if they will get nothing tonight, to which he responds by pointing to the large, slightly wiggling sack on the floor. The women descend upon it, and Harker thinks he hears the frightened cry of a child as the women tear the bag open and then fade from existence right before his eyes. He doesn't blink, no doors open, they just fade away. They simply seem to fade into the rays of the moonlight and pass out through the window, for I could see outside the dim, shadowy forms for a moment before they entirely faded away. Then horror overcame me, and I sank down, unconscious. That's where we're going to leave off for now. We'll start with chapter four on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Tales from the Witch House. I've been Brie Bjorklund. This episode was scored by Logan Ray. If darkness is what you're after, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you.